Welcome to the Bridge Church Podcast. Our purpose statement at Bridge Church is to reach people where they are and help them grow. We hope today's message inspires you towards growth, and we pray it's life-changing, and we hope to see you soon. What's going on, y'all? Yeah, can we give it up again for that worship experience? Dag, if I'd have known Latisse was going to have us do all that, I would have worn my Fitbit, got my steps in. (laughs) Well, before we get started, I do want to um, give a special birthday shout out to my wife, Tamika, up there. Her birthday's tomorrow. Happy birthday, boo. Love you. And um, also, I mean, anybody here was at Soul Cafe last night? Wasn't not an amazing time? I mean, James Seaton came through with some bars of poetry. Yes, Mark and Kelly Diaz with different songs. Desiree killing it, singing Superstitious. It got funky up in here. Uh, And then Pastor James just the whole night, like, just kind of continued to usher it through. But we are excited. I'm going to give you a little bit of context from last night because it relates very much to what we're going to be sharing today. And one of the things we talked about last night, just observing that in October, there's oftentimes a lot of superstitions that exist, right? Just a couple days ago was what day? Friday the 13th, and that has this whole thing. And, And in general, this aspect of haunted houses and, and, and scary things. And, and I think one of the reasons why those concepts have so much potency in our culture is because in the back of our minds, I think we know that America is a haunted house. What do I mean by that? We're haunted by our past. We're haunted by the stories and the, and, and the confrontation of what is true about how we ended up becoming the superpower that we are today and how many lives and how many broken treaties and promises were related to getting to that place. And so as a result of that, we're haunted so much by our past that you actually have lawmakers now creating laws to stop and ban the teaching of history. I mean, literally, you know you're down bad when you're banning books about Rosa Parks, but that's what's going on. But we're also haunted, not just by that, but the failure of institutions like governments and churches. Our Congress right now is literally not functioning because we don't have a speaker of this haunted house. But we're also haunted by the misuse of religion and the ways in which the evils of slavery and genocide of Native Americans were justified oftentimes and tried to be baptized in Jesus' name. And so as a result of that, uh, we have the phenomena of, and these are some of the things that factor into the SBNR phenomena. Increasingly, people, especially millennials, Gen Z, are identifying as spiritual, but not religious. Because it, 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 this, and though the, it's a fuzzy term, and, and, and we talked about how there's really some inconsistencies there, but the basic general gist is that there's a distrust of institutions, and there's a distrust of external determinations of truth because of so much harm that has been done. So folks are like, I'll just try to figure it out on myself. 
by myself. But as we discuss, it's really impossible to be spiritual without being religious because whatever you do is just an expression of a religion, even if it's your centric, it's like your own thing that you're doing. But we talked about all that, and the reality is that the book of Acts emerges at a time not unlike our own, where there is lots of diversity of thought, of opinion, of people from all these different places. And the one thing that's unique and different is because up until that point, uh, a lot of times people groups were stayed to themselves, stayed in their communities, and where they worship was just kind of like localized to them. And it was almost like sports teams, right? Where, you know, it was like, well, we worship the giants, and that's our, which that's a failed religion for sure, but, <laughs> or we were, whatever it is that's out there, like that was kind of how think people saw it. And in the, in the context of that, in the book of Acts, Jesus, the resurrected Jesus, tells his followers to don't just keep it local where you're from. This isn't just about you, and this isn't just about you and your ethnic superiority as demonstrated by your supposed gods that are better than others. In fact, I am the king of kings and the lord of lords. And so for the first time in human history, he's actually moving toward a ethnically diverse group and community of people who are worshiping the same God and even conforming their cultural norms in which ways that are outside of the bounds of his truth to his truth. And this caused some rubs and some tensions, and even it was so radical, even the disciples didn't fully get it. And so Acts unfolds them wrestling through this tension of what does it mean to be a diverse community that's taking good news that Jesus is not bound by the locale of a certain region or place globally. And so we're going to talk about the good news goes global today. Because if you can remember in Acts 1-8, as Pastor James taught about, Jesus said, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth. Notice the categories there are explicit and intentional that are outward circles, Jerusalem, the city, then Judea, which is more diverse, then Samaria, which is really diverse, and then to the other ends of the world. He gives them the plan and the strategy and then ascends in a cloud up into heaven. And they just look in awe. And I can just see Peter being like, hey, Thomas, you think he coming back? I doubt it. Some of y'all get that. And they, get, they stayed there so long, the angels literally had to come and be like, yo, y'all, like, he, he's going like he said he was, like, go and run the play now. It's time. It's time. Like, they literally was that confusing to them. And so the rest of the book of Acts tells the story of these early followers and what it looked like for them to continue to communicate and tell who Jesus was across these geographic, ethnic lines, intentions. And as we do that, we see it get to this place where uh, they start having conflicts, among themselves in Acts chapter 6, it don't take long, 
still the same year, still the same probably a few months, we see a dispute happen between the Hellenistic Jews and the Hebraic Jews. The Hebraic Jews were those that were close to Israel that spoke Hebrew, hence Hebraic and, or Aramaic, and then the Hellenistic, Hellenistic is Greek. These were from, folks from the diaspora who came from all these other places. They were ethnically diverse, they were culturally diverse, and, they were, and there was tension happening. And so the disciples get together and have a meeting in Acts 6 and say, we, we gotta fix this. And so the solution that they come up with together is to appoint seven people who would serve the community. And notice that they picked seven, they picked seven Hellenistic Jews who were the minority group. So what was happening is the majority of the uh, uh, group, which the disciples were all Hebraic Jews, they, they empower the minority group so that they can serve their community better. Somebody will catch the importance and significance of that. They were able to position themselves to empower. And one of those seven was named Stephen. And Stephen, when he gets appointed, goes and proclaims the truth of the gospel and gets stoned to death and becomes the first Christian martyr. That's in the previous chapter, in Acts chapter 7. And then in Acts chapter 8, we see another one emerging. We're going to look into his life right now. But first, let's pray. God in heaven, we thank you for this day. Great and mighty are you. We pray that you would fill us with your spirit so we can hear, understand, and proclaim your good news to the world. In Jesus' name, amen. Acts 8.1, and Paul, I'm sorry, and Saul <laughs> approved of his, Stephen's, execution. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Notice it says Judea and Samaria, and if that, that should ring a bell with Acts 1.8. So what ended up happening was even after Jesus had told them the plan to run, they, didn't, they stayed in Jerusalem. They didn't want to go. They were afraid to go. And so this persecution happens, and now they are presented and moved and scattered. Look at what happens in verse 4. It says, now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. Philip went down to the, to the city of Samaria and proclaimed Christ to them. Just a little quick note before we get into the rest of this passage. It's important to recognize that for the first 400 years of the Christian church, it was often marginalized and persecuted. And part of the reason why was they were going to these boundaries and pushing them and these tensions that emerged. But in the midst of that, notice it mentions Philip went down to the city of Samaria, Judea, Samaria. Now, Samaria was the last place most Jewish people wanted to go. There was centuries-old beef between Jews and Samaritans. They had wars against each other, even in the first century. And so there was a lot of concern that anybody would have to say, hey, don't go to Samaria. Philip decides to go there. That's the first place that he decides to go because he runs to the tension. Jesus intentionally instructs them to go to Samaria because of the cultural tensions that are there. There are people in your life in which you have relational tension. There are people in your life you have political differences and social tensions. There are people in your life who you have cultural tensions to. And the first move to understand how the gospel goes global is to recognize that the good news goes global when we go towards the tension, not away from it. Philip goes toward it. And I'll just take some time to read the rest of this uh, account, we'll skip a little bit so you can get to see the full concept of what happens next. It says, now, 
Those who were scattered went about preaching the word. Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them the Christ. And the crowds with one accord paid attention to what was being said by Philip when they heard him. And they saw the signs that he did. For unclean spirits crying out with a loud voice came out of many of them. And many who were paralyzed or lame were healed so that there was much joy in the city. This is fascinating. So he goes to the place he ain't supposed to go, to the part of town that someone like him isn't supposed to go to, and begins to talk to them about Jesus and begin to demonstrate the authority and power of Jesus over these unclean spirits. And it says that there was much joy in the city. Don't miss this. this. He goes to a place where they have different beliefs, they have different customs, they have different culture, but because they see the power of God manifested through him, there's joy in the city. Last night, we talked about the reality of, of the spiritual world and, and the different beliefs and perspectives that we have. And here's the thing that's important to understand. God was never about obliterating people's culture, but he is about obliterating, obliterating the evil forces that influence us in our lives. He is about destroying that which is set out to destroy us. And every belief system in the world has both good and evil spirits that they understand exist. And Philip is saying this is the one who has dominion over all of them. The Bible doesn't deny the existence of the occult and spiritism, but presents the good news of Jesus Christ as a better way. And that's good news. So Philip goes out, shares the good news, and people are excited and are responding. And then we're going to skip down to verse 26, because this is where we're going to spend most of our time today. And it says in verse 26, now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he rose and went. And there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all of her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and he was returning seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah, the prophet, and asked, do you understand what you're reading? And he said, how can I, unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the passage of the scripture that he was reading was this, like a sheep he was led to the slaughter. And like a lamb before its shears is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life was taken from, away from the earth. And the eunuch said to Philip, about whom, I ask you, does this prophet say this? About himself or someone else? I'm going to stop right there for a second. <laughs> There's so much good stuff here. All right, first, to go all the way back up to the top, let's start with the Ethiopian part. Now, this term, Ethiopia, in the first century was not talking about the nation state that we see in the Horn of Africa today. It's actually talking about the kingdom of Cush, which they refer to in that sense. And the kingdom of Cush was an ancient uh, civilization that was so advanced 
that it was seen regionally and globally as a dominant force. And so it's this part, uh, I showed you a map here to kind of give you a sense that Kush, uh, is, you can see is very much centered in what is now modern day Sudan, but spread and touched all the different aspects of that region, including some of what we would know as present day Egypt and some of what we know as present day Ethiopia. But he talks to, in the spirit of God sends him to this place. So first of all, you got to know something about Philip. <laughs> this dude is so in tune with the spirit that he's getting DMs from angels. <laughs> like he says, yo, go to the south and go to from Jerusalem to Gaza to the place that I'm sending you to. And I want to pause right here because one of the phrases that's leapt out to me this week in preparing this, when it said from Jerusalem to Gaza, and it's almost impossible not to read those words and think about the horrors that we've seen over the last eight days. First, the, you know, just brutality of the terrorist invasion from Hamas into Israel, murdering innocent people, men, women, babies. And it's also hard not to think about Gaza right now, which is also in distress as water and food supplies have been shut off and they're preparing for another type of invasion. We need to pray for this region right now because it is just horrific what is happening. And we need to pray that the Prince of Peace would be truly reigning in the midst of these hostilities. And I love the fact that it says from Jerusalem to Gaza, because remember, Jesus' reign is Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. That is the plan and that is the vision, amen. And Philip responds, it says, it says he rose and went. So the spirit tells him, what to do, and he goes and do it. The Spirit tells him what to do, and he goes and do it. It's really that simple in terms of the action point for us. So he goes there, and he then interacts, but you have to understand something else about uh, this Ethiopian context. And even to this day, uh, a lot of people don't realize that there is a significant population of Ethiopian Jews um, that exists in the current you know, in that area. In that, and part of it, they, they actually tie their heritage all the way back to Solomon. In the Old Testament, there's a story of the Queen of Sheba going to uh, explore Solomon, and they put it there because she was so uh, well-respected and the kingdom was so well-developed that they're using that um, reality to show how impressive Solomon's kingdom was. And so there's already well-attested connection between the two, and there's some people say that when she came back to Sheba, she came back with more than just some gifts from Solomon. I don't know what happened, I wasn't there. I'm just saying that's where some of the narrative comes. But whatever the case, uh, when I went to Israel a couple years ago, I actually did interact with and see some Ethiopian Jews that, you, uh, that are still very much followers of um, that, the faith and, and the connection. And people also don't realize that Amharic, Tigrinya, Giz, all of these are Semitic languages. They're in the same family tree. And so all of this connection is part of the reason why he's there going to Jerusalem to worship. But there's also something else of note that we see in the text that Luke draws our attention to. It says that he was a eunuch. Now, it's not unusual for a man who was serving in the royal courts to um, have been a eunuch, which basically meant sometimes they castrated them to avoid any type of an incident of him by accident slipping into the royal line. That's quite the expectation for a job interview, right? Um, 
But sometimes there were people who, you know, so some aspect it was forced, other aspects there were just any kind of um, abnormality in someone that maybe they couldn't have kids or, or, or some other type of disfigurement, they were called eunuchs. And they were not allowed to be in the full worship uh, experience in the temple, in Jerusalem, or in, in, in most other religions. They were seen as different and other. And Luke intentionally draws our attention to the fact that the Spirit of God brings Philip to interact with this eunuch who would have otherwise been seen as the other, otherwise been ostracized, otherwise not be allowed into the temple to reveal that then Jesus Christ and his kingdom extends to even those on the margins. Even those whose sexual identity doesn't conform with the norm. Even those who are considered other and, 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 are, and are oppressed in that way. And he says, the gospel is good news for you too. Are we taking the good news to everyone? Like Philip did. So he, we, we get this sense of the eunuch. But we also need to understand that what happens next is says, the spirit says to Philip, go over and join this chariot. <laughs> and look at what happens. It says, so Philip ran <laughs> to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, do you understand what you're reading? So he didn't have any idea where this guy's head was at when he first reached out to him. He just was like, I'm just going to go over there, be obedient. And as he was coming, he overhears him reading. Most people at that time read out loud. And he's reading, and he's not just reading anything. He's not just reading the Jerusalem Times or, you know, the Ethiopian News. He's reading from the prophet Isaiah. And notice Philip's reaction and his response is just to ask him a question. Do you understand what you're reading? I'm going to pause here because this is an important point. One of the problems with why the gospel has, doesn't go as global as it needs to is because of our approach. And our approach is one in which we do too much telling and not enough asking. We've oftentimes presumed certain things about somebody and had more in mind, more priority on what we wanted to say than what they needed to hear. We must engage people respecting their own spiritual journey. And Philip does that by first interacting, not with his own agenda, but just by asking him where he's already at. He's already reading something. What, what are you thinking about what you're reading? And Barna, a group that studies faith trends, they said this. They, in this image that I'm going to show you, the headline is, imagine a Christian you would be interested in learning from. Which of the following characteristics would you use to describe them? So they, Barna's asked this group to, to people who are not in the faith. And this is, in clockwise, what they said would be the top values and characteristics that would, would cause them to want to entertain a conversation with a Christian about their faith. Number one, listen without judgment, 39%. Two, is honest about their own doubts, 33%. Does not force a conclusion cares about them as a person, allows others to draw their own conclusions, is interested in me even if I am not a Christian, understands me, has experienced struggles. Like they want to talk to real people who are actually wanting to have a dialogue. And when that happens, there is incredible openness to hearing good news. You see, the problem is oftentimes we don't abide by just the regular aspects of decency and having a conversation. We just want to plow through a message. But we have to go 
And for God sends us, we're the ones, we're the action plan that just like with Jesus and the disciples, God sends us out for the good news to go global. And that's what we see in Philip. But he starts by asking a question, marvelous and wonderfully done. And one of the great problems with Western mission efforts was the ethnocentric assumption that God wasn't already moving in the people that they encountered. And people assume and associate that that has something to do with talking about a different belief system, but it actually has something to do with just some cultural assumptions they had. Because look at what happens in verse 31. And after uh, Philip asks him, do you understand? He says, how can I, unless uh, someone guides me, and then he invited Philip to come sit with him in the chariot. See, Philip had proven that he was trustworthy enough and safe enough of a person to be invited in the chariot. If you want people to invite you into the chariot, then you need to start with asking questions. Amen? Here's another thought. Uh, 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 There was a scholar named Laman Samna, um, a brother from Africa, and he had this quote, and I just had to share this with y'all because it's so uh, profound. He says, the original language of Christianity is translation. So what he's saying is, in contrast to other systems of belief, in contrast to other religions where the, there's a certain cultural garb that you have to wear that looks like from a certain place, there's a certain language you have to learn in order to connect with that sense of deity, or you have to be ethnic. He said the actual original language of Christianity is translation. We see it from the beginning. What happens in Acts chapter 2? They start proclaiming the good news of God, and people heard it in their own languages. You see, the, the, part, the point that is being drawn there is contrary to everything else, this is is not about your ethnic superiority over anything else. This is about Jesus, the word of God, wanting his word to get out to others and will use any of the languages that actually he created because you're created in his image in order to draw you to himself. And so when we honor and respect where people are coming from in all of their flyness and all of their cultural distinctions, we actually show that Jesus is God over that creator, over that culture, instead of trying to force our culture onto them. So we see he is asked to get in to the chariot. I love this next part. Verse 32. Now the passage of scripture he was reading was this. Like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter and like a lamb before its shear is silent. So he opened not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. And the eunuch said to Philip, About whom, I ask you, does the prophet say this? About himself or about someone else? Oh, my gosh. The God God just gave Philip like a layup. (laughs) It's like, this is easy. And so this is so profound. So this is, he's reading in Isaiah 53. Isaiah 53 is, is, is understood to have been written in about 800 B.C., so it's like 800 years before, but there's this prophecy in it that had puzzled and confused people for generations about how could this Messiah, who was supposed to be this reigning king, this triumphant person, suffer and be tortured by people. It didn't make sense to them. And so this brother is trying to understand it. This Ethiopian brother is trying to make sense of it. And he goes and says, who is he talking about? And oftentimes, if we just go out and take the step of faith to initiate the conversation, we'll see God give us layups. I know because I'm the product of a layup. Um, Some of y'all have heard this story before, but uh, part of how my spiritual journey, I had no interest in God. In fact, I used to debate Christians when I was in high school, thought what they believed was foolish and all this stuff. And then what had happened was, is I I cheated on my girlfriend and got caught because you can't be a player if you don't have game. 
didn't learn that. But in any case, I confessed to the other girl, and I was really depressed because I had really thought my religion at the time was Rasulism. Like, I just thought that I was just a good enough person that I didn't need anything else. And this shattered that down because for whatever reason, I hurt someone just because I wanted to, because of what was good for me. So I was, I was in despair. And I go to her and, she, and I tell her what happened and she says, I forgive you. And I was like, huh? why? And she said, because Jesus has forgiven me for everything that I've done. So I don't think I should hold this against you. And that truth cut through all of my intellectual pride. It cut through all of my cultural supposition. It just can't, got to the very core of what I needed to hear at that time was there is a God who can forgive. There's a restart button that can happen in your life. That was the only thing I needed to hear. There was no profound theological exposition. It was just that particular thing. And Philip is there, and the one thing that this brother needs to want to know, who is he talking about in Isaiah 53? And all Philip has to do is a one-word apologetic, Jesus. And it says, starting from that scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. Because the one part that is not clear in Isaiah 53 is what happens next, which is why they were confused. How could the reigning Messiah of the universe die? How could that work? And then Philip was like, because the good news is he got back up again. See, that the good news is that that redemption was for us and that now, because he rose, we can still rise as well with him. And that good news is communicated. So here's the thing, though. Verse 35. It starts with Philip opened his mouth. This is a very basic point. For the good news to go global, we have to open our mouths. We have to actually speak. We have to actually represent that which we are saying that we believe. And we also have to give people an opportunity to respond. This was not on Philip's agenda that day, but what happens then is it says, as he explains the gospel and his good news to this Ethiopian brother, as they're in the chariot, still heading south, so he's going completely out of the direction of where he was intending to go, and it says, meaning Philip was, and it says, and when they came out the water, the spirit of the Lord, whoops, I'm scrolling down, I went too far, and it says, and they, was, they were going along the way, verse 34, along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, see here, is water. What prevents me from being baptized? <laughs> the brother was ready. He was ready because what God was doing in his part of his spiritual journey already. He was already reading Isaiah. He was already trying to understand. He had gone all the way to Jerusalem, even though he couldn't get into the temple. And he was ready. And once he heard the good news of Jesus, he said, stop the chariot. Stop. Pause it right here. There's water right here. Let's go. Let's do this thing. I want to identify with Jesus in his death and in his resurrection. And he had an opportunity to respond. And then it says, verse 39, and when they came out the water, the spirit of the Lord carried Philip away and the eunuch saw him no more and went away, went on his way rejoicing. First of all, what a day, Philip. <laughs> right? Like the angel comes and says, hey, I need you to go down south to Gaza, and then you do, and then he's like, okay, talk to this guy, then you hear all, this whole thing happens, and then you get like, 
express angelic uber to go back to where, and he still continues to preach the gospel. He's now known as Philip the evangelist because he just kept preaching and proclaiming. But look at, I want to draw his attention to what happens next with the Ethiopian. It says, and the eunuch saw him no more and went on his way rejoicing. On his way meant he was still heading back home to Cush. Still heading back home to, to, to his homeland in Africa. And this is what I'm here to tell you, that in spite of the haunted house of America, in spite of all of the narratives that exist to the contrary, Christianity did not get introduced to Africa from Europe and from Europeans. We see right here in this text, this is 33 AD, even after Acts 2, where we see people there from the very beginning of the church, we see right just a few weeks later, him right there going to Africa, back home in the text. Now, somebody should need to say amen, because this means that the good news went to Africa before Europe. And that's significant because of the cultural narrative that people try to say that this is a white man's religion. How can that be true if this is accurate? I mean, just to give you some context here. So like you look when we think about Arabic culture, right? It's oftentimes synonymous, although not completely with Islam. Now, Islam doesn't even come on the scene until the sixth century. That's 600 years after this. So if Islam can be associated as being intrinsic to Arabic culture, then what does that mean for African culture had exposure to Christianity 600 years beforehand? Well, I'll tell you what Dr. John Mabiti said, the African scholar who wrote African Religions and Philosophy. He says Christianity has been in Africa so long it can be considered an indigenous African religion. Those are his words. Why is this important? Because, again, nobody holds claim to the resurrected Jesus Christ. Not in Africa, not in Asia, not in Europe, not in Latin America, and definitely not here in America that the whole point and the goal of Jesus' resurrection and his pronouncement is tell everybody, we wanna go global with the good news. Because the reality is just like me, all of us got areas of our lives that's raggedy and broken and that need a savior. But it's also important to note that when you look at the Ethiopian church that still exists to this day, one of the oldest churches in the world that not only did it send missionaries all across Africa, and there's evidence of that all over, over a thousand years before Europeans discovered, but they continue to have and elevate their own cultural traditions. They continue to preach and speak in Amharic and Tigrinya and Giz. They continue to lift up the things that were nature to them because this was never about obliterating a culture, it's always about elevating it. And that's the same with us because at the end of the day, we see this in John, the revelation that he sees in Revelation 7, 9. At the end of the story, we get the picture. God rolls back the cloud and it says, and then I saw every tribe, tongue, and nation worshiping at the throne. Now he's seeing this vision of what's happening in the future and he's still hearing the distinctions. He's still hearing the Amharic. He's still hearing the Greek. He's still hearing the Yoruba. He's still hearing the Spanish. He's still hearing the English. He's still hearing all the distinctions. He's still seeing the distinctions of their tribes worshiping God together. So what that means is that God isn't here to obliterate our identity. He's here to elevate it to its fullest sense. Because some of us are like me. You get a new device, you get a new phone, or, and you just want to start using it. 
But then eventually, you don't understand how something works. And what do you have to do? Go to the owner's manual. Feels like a moment of defeat when that happens. But you do it nonetheless. And why do you do it? Because the device was created by someone who knows how it works best. And they put it in a book for you to understand how to maximize its potential. And God is our creator, and he's given us the owner's manual for us to understand how to maximize our potential. And it's not through manifesting, and it's not through having some type of mantra, and it's not through just looking in the mirror and giving myself affirmations. It's through understanding that he is God and not us, and that he has a plan for us, and that he can transform and change us. And I'm not throwing shade on anybody or anything that's trying to uplift themselves, but what I am saying is that ultimately, the ultimate reason why these things fail is because we try to base our identity and our strength on us. And when we actually base it on the one who made us, then we get to see the fullest version of us. So lastly, the good news goes global when we go. Philip had understood this and was called and used first because he had trusted this good news for himself. This Ethiopian is able to go back home and tell people the good news of Jesus and his understanding of this mystery that he had in this text because he embraced it himself and said, stop the chariot, stop what I'm doing, stop the direction that I'm going. I need to make space and time for Jesus. And the reality is for us to embrace this truth, for the good news to go global, we must first receive it ourselves. And then that's when he unlocks all of the other truths and the significance of what it means for the Holy Spirit to come and rest and reign and rule in each and every one of us. Would you stand with me as we close? I wanna give us an opportunity today to respond to this good news. Uh, you might be here and like the Ethiopian brother, uh, you might have some questions that you don't quite understand about spiritual things. You might be reading something and it's like, well, what does this really mean? And I'm not here to tell you that I can answer all those questions or that this church can either, but what I can say is we know one who does. And this is an opportunity we wanna give you to just trust God with the next step. To say that there is good news and that good news is that the one who came to set us all free, the one who came to reveal himself to humanity is not just a savior of a certain group of people, but of us all, is inviting you today, right now. This is your opportunity to stop the chariot. So if you wanna come and receive Jesus Christ today, we just invite you to come forward. What that means is it's just that we believe here that, that, that Jesus is alive and he's still changing and transforming us. And that starts simply with our trust in him. It starts with just our ability to say, I want to trust your owner's manual to maximize who I am and to make me into the person that I'm called to be, the fullest sense of who I am. If that's you today, we just invite you to come forward. And the reason why we invite you to come forward is because we're never meant to walk this journey alone. We need community to do it. 
We need fellowship to do it. We need a Philip next to us to do it. And you got a whole room of folks that are ready to walk with you. Is there one that says, yeah, I, I want to take that step. I want Jesus to be my Lord. Is there one? Amen. Praise God. Praise God. Let's give it up to the Lord. Amen. Amen. Yeah. Yeah. Is there another? You just want to extend an opportunity. Say, let's link into what God is doing in the world and be the fullest sense of who we're supposed to be. The beautiful thing was that at no point did the Spirit say, well, this is what you did last night. Or this is who you were last week. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The scripture says, the old has passed away. Behold, all things have become new. This is an opportunity to become new. The last thing I want to invite us to, and if you're still wrestling in your seat, you can come forward. If you're still wrestling, there's still time. But I do also want to invite us, not just to connect with the Ethiopian, but also to think about Philip's example and about going. Because he's called us all to go. And the thing about Philip is he was just open. He went straight to Samaria because he knew that's where the tension was. And I would imagine that in a room this size, that there are people that you had in the mind that you were thinking about, that God might be calling you to, to not to just beat them over the head with your beliefs and faith, but to start with the question. Just ask a question. What's your understanding of where you are right now? And see if there's an invitation to get into the chariot. Amen, sister. Praise God. Praise God. Keep coming. Yeah, there's time. There's time. Amen. Amen. So we want to give you an opportunity to respond to the invitation to intercede for someone. So... I want you to just raise a hand for someone that you were thinking about that you just want to be able to have the courage to talk to, to invite to a conversation, just the openness, or just someone that you just are, have a burden for, that you can even just make that leap. It may be a coworker, a family member, a friend. Amen. Praise God. You know, and so just we're just going to intercede and pray for that person as you just raise your hand, and we'll pray for these in the front too. Father in heaven, we thank you that your truth is good news, that you are one who forgives every single one of our shortcomings and sins, that you are one who heals every one of our diseases, that you are one who helps us to see the injustices in the world and to speak truth to them in a way that causes your kingdom to come and your will be done on earth. And as these hands are raised, we pray for the person that these hands represent, that God, through your Holy Spirit, that you would move in them and you would move in us that you would help us to have the opportunity to enter into their journey into their story and maybe share our own god give us wisdom but give us boldness god to go global with this good news and for these ones in the front we pray we rejoice with you you say that the angels rejoice over one and there are two here that have made this commitment we pray that holy spirit you would fill them to overflowing that you would help them to take the next steps of growth and we will be so ever to give you the praise and the glory in jesus name amen hey y'all let's rejoice this says the angels rejoice over one let's go buck let's go ham 
uh, you can follow the uh, Pastor Josh to uh, hear some next steps. Just follow Pastor Josh right here. And we're going to celebrate right now. We're going to praise God right now for what he's doing in and through our midst. Let's rejoice. We hope this message was encouraging to you. We invite you to send us an email at info at bridgechurchnyc.com so we can hear how God used this message to speak to you. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok. Our handle on all our social media platforms is at bridgechurchnyc. Our website is bridgechurchnyc.com. If you're in the New York City area, we would love to see you on a Sunday. Our services are at 10.30 a.m. and noon on Sundays at 345 Adams Street in downtown Brooklyn. Thanks for listening to our podcast today, and we hope to see you soon.